So this past week, we all got to experience Thanksgiving. And even though it may look a little different for all of us, we took time to celebrate the fruits of our labor and the blessings from God. And if you were a part of the preparation work for the meal, or at least a portion of it, then you know that it didn't just appear by itself or in the oven on the kitchen table. I wish I was Mary Poppins sometimes and I could just sing a song and everything just fixes itself. Wouldn't that be nice? But if you prepped for Thanksgiving, you had to make a list. You had to go to the store. You had to fight the crowds. And just paying for those items this year, that wasn't easy. <laughs> then all the dishes and food have to be prepped. And typically that means getting up before the sun to put the turkey or ham in the oven, begin chopping, dicing, measuring, and some of us probably start the night before. The point is it takes hours for a large, beautiful spread of food to appear on the table. And this month we have been prepping for something. We've been prepping our hearts for Thanksgiving and the Christmas spirit, the spirit that comes to rejoice in our Savior's birth. We've been learning to protect ourselves against spiritual drought and tilling that good soil and having good soil, how important that is, as Miss Maxine mentioned. And today we're going to continue by looking at how all these lessons that we've been learning, when they are applied, reap bountiful blessings through the story of Ruth. We're going to look at the life of Ruth and Naomi and all that they went through before they received their bountiful blessings. We're going to learn three key requirements from their mistakes and their successes. Position, posture, and gratitude. These requirements are necessary to receive these bountiful blessings. So we're going to be looking at the second chapter of Ruth. If you have your Bibles or it's an app on your phone, if you'll turn to chapter 2 of Ruth. And I'm going to read just a few verses at, at a time as we go through the message. I'll give you just a few minutes to get there. When you have it, you can say amen. I need more before I go on. More amens. We getting it? Ruth chapter 2, we ready? <laughs> so I'm going to begin reading, a, like I said, just a few verses at a time. It says, Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from Emelech's family. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Emelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you and bless you. They, they, bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters. Whose young woman is this? The servant answered, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has remained from early morning until now, except that she has rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, 
Don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So Ruth and Naomi, they have a need. They had just come from the land of Moab back to Bethlehem with very little belongings. They had lost everything, including their husbands who had died. However, their problem really began long before when Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem. If you know the story, they left because of drought. They left to go to Moab where it seemed that there would be more provisions and prosperity there. How many of us know things are not always greener on the other side? <laughs> and they figured that out. But you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a place where everything is going wrong. Whether it's from our own bad decisions or maybe we feel we've been forced and we've had no other choice. But when we find ourselves there trying to figure out what to do next in that drought, whether it's a financial one or spiritual, whatever, the first thing that we need to do is put ourselves in the right position, a position to hear from God and his spirit and literally turn our hearts and minds to his guidance. You know, sometimes God tells us to stay right where we are, even though it's dry and hard and doesn't make any sense. And other times he'll guide us out. But the one thing I do know is if God has not given you instructions to move or showed you where the next step should be, then the answer is you need to wait. You need to be still right where you are. And it's not because he doesn't care, but it's for our own good and protection. He's got a plan to bless you and fulfill his purpose in you. Sometimes that means waiting. He's prepping something, and you can't see it. When I was um, <laughs> working in healthcare, and I had been working for a facility for some time in the Alzheimer's unit, and I wasn't exactly happy with management, and I was praying, God, show me where to go. I didn't want to go to another place that would just lead to the same old, same old. So I prayed, and I waited. It took a year and a half for God to answer that prayer. But I kid you not, I was sitting outside on my break, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And he just said to me, as clear as I'm talking to you, you are going to sit in homes with people. And I knew that he was talking about home care, because that's what I did for a living, care for um, the elderly. So I started calling around, and I found this beautiful place called Angel Companions. And the man who answered the phone sounded like a man of God. And sure enough, when I went in for the interview, they were just that. They hired me, but they said, Jamie, we don't have a place to put you yet. But I went and I put my two weeks notice in because I knew if God had called me there, he would provide. Before my two weeks was up, I get a call that a family wanted to meet me in two hours. I walked into my boss's office and said, I can't fulfill that two weeks, and I left. A year and a half later, when I was in their office working, they had asked me to come work in the office after the family had passed that I was caring for for so long. They offered me a job in the office, and I found out 
that they had not opened their doors for business until June of 2007, and I came to work in January of 2007. Or sorry, they opened in January, and I came to work in June of 2007. If I would have left that other job when I wanted to, I would have never found them because they didn't exist. God made me wait that year and a half because he was waiting on them to open their doors for business. I worked there for 14 years after that until I came to do this. God has a plan. And it has so many blessings you can't even imagine. But sometimes that means we're going to have to be stretched and we're going to have to wait during a season of life that feels like no rain is coming. But I know from firsthand experience that we just have to trust God. You have to get into his presence for his strength. And he's going to give you whatever you need for whatever purpose that you're being led to. I believe Naomi and her husband were going through not only a physical famine and drought, but a spiritual one. Just like Joe preached on earlier this month. It's important when we're going through any kind of famine, physical, emotional, spiritual, like I said, financial, that we are keeping ourselves in this position where God and the Holy Spirit can continue to water you and feed you even though your circumstances say otherwise. Even if every voice coming at you is the opposite of faith and hope. Because if you follow these voices, they will lead you to Moab. Moab was not a good place. It was full of sin. They worshiped false gods and even would give human sacrifices to these gods. The law of Moses had warned about this land of Moab. And they, and they uh, Naomi and her husband, they would have known this. They would have known when they made the decision to go there. That the law of Moses did not agree with that. But whether they felt it was the best decision or the easiest one, they put themselves in a position of corruption and dishonoring God. They showed lack of faith. Those moments and times that happen in our lives, they come with a lot of pressure. When we're hungry or desperate, we can react in strange ways. But going to Moab was regression, not progression. And it brought tragedy. So before we open the next door or take the next turn, we really need to lean on the Lord and, and the Spirit and ask for his direction, ask for his wisdom, so we don't find our place, ourselves in a place or a position that seems to only fulfill a temporary need, but it leads to more problems. It leads to being spiritually dead in the long run. So here in chapter 2, Naomi and Ruth are trying to rebuild their lives after all these tragedies. At the end of the first chapter, it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. I like the way the Holcomb Standard Version puts it. It says in verse 22 of chapter 1, So Naomi came back from the land of Moab. I like this idea of coming back from something. After all these bad events have happened, I'm sure she's realizing that they would have been better off if they would have never come there. But she has to make a decision. She can stay stuck in the past, regretting what she's done and all that she's lost because of it in Moab. Or she can return to God's way and God's plan. And that's what she does. Then we have Ruth, 
a woman from this land of Moab that grew up there, knew their way of life, and that, and that life didn't teach about a loving God, but rather a life of flesh based off sinful emotions and logic. And all of a sudden she meets this young man, Naomi's son. He comes into her life, this family comes into her life, and, and they show her a love and a pureness that she's not experienced. And they introduce her to the God of Israel. She falls in love with that. She found something different, something better. And so when she's faced with losing her husband and all of this, something inside of her knows that she did not belong to this land. That this new love and this new life that she had was what she had been searching for all along. And it was real and she didn't want to let go of it. Ruth told Naomi in the scripture, it says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. That's passion. You see, both of these ladies, they recognized that they were in the wrong place and in the wrong position. They needed to leave this current place and position themselves into a place that was honoring God. So upon arriving back in Bethlehem, Ruth does not waste any time. She does just what she needs to do. In verse 2 and 3 that we read, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather the fallen grain behind someone who allows me to? So Ruth left and entered this field. She's gathering grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land that belonged to Boaz. You see, Ruth recognizes that in order to meet their need, that they have to change their current situation. And she's got to do something about that. It's not just going to happen. It's not a coincidence that they arrived in Bethlehem during a time of harvest. And Ruth knows if they're going to get their blessing. She's got to do something. She has to put herself into a position to receive it. So she goes out into the fields. She wastes no time. And even though she doesn't know what will happen or if anyone will even accept her and allow her to do this, she has faith. You remember, she was a Moabite, despised by the Jewish people. But she knows that she will never get her blessing she doesn't get into that position. Following this new faith and what she's learned from this family and these people. So as we continue to read through the verses, we see that Boaz, the owner of this land, arrives. And when he learns of Ruth, he says in verse 8 and 9, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars that they have filled. You see, what is happening here is because of her effort and because of her faith, she's gaining favor with the Lord. And the Lord is blessing her through Boaz. Not only does she get to harvest freely, Boaz also protects her and ensures that she'll be taken care of and she can have water anytime she needs so are we positioning our place, ourselves in a place to receive what God has for us? Or are we staying in Moab? Are we living in the past? You can keep going and doing whatever you're doing, expecting different results, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> to get yourself into a position of hearing from God and following him, it just requires two things. 
First, faith. Embracing what we know to be true inside our hearts and through the knowledge of God's word. And just acting in obedience to it. Ruth didn't do all the work, but she took the first step of faith and obedience, and God provided the rest. The next time you don't know which way to go, or you have a great need that seems too hard to accomplish, just have faith and take the first step. Do the next right thing, knowing that this is what God wants from you, and he's going to bless you because of it. You may not have the entire plan or picture, but he will reveal it to you, I promise, one step at a time. One act of faithful obedience at a time. And with, and with each step comes the most amazing, beautiful blessings, things we can never accomplish on our own. Not just physical blessings, but the kind that quenches the heart and the spirit. Things, material items will never be able to do for you. And the second key requirement that we learn from the story for bountiful blessings is our posture. And I'm not talking necessarily about the posture of your body kneeling versus standing, but the posture of your heart. Because the truth is, even if you're kneeling on the outside, but you're not on the inside, then it's superficial. It has no power. Having the proper posture of heart opens up our soul to be touched by the Holy Spirit, affected, changed, and strengthened. Once we have seen how evil and difficult life and people can be, we naturally want to start guarding our hearts from those things that hurt us, right? And while we do have to be wise and we do have to guard our heart to some extent, the problem is when we go to the extreme and we build these walls that even keep us from the love of God. They keep us from hearing from him and getting his direction. And this only leads to us controlling more things, distancing ourselves from him, from the only one who can help us. Ruth could easily have allowed that to happen to her after all she had been through. But that's not the postures that she took on. Let's read about Ruth's posture in verses 10 through 12. It says she bowed her face to the ground and said to him, why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and the land of your birth, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth's heart takes on three different postures here in these verses. First, humbleness. She says, why are you so kind to notice me? She does not see herself greater or deserving of anything for what she has done, but as a humble foreigner. She also takes on this posture of dedication and genuineness, not only to her mother-in-law, but this new way of life and her new faith. It's real. It's genuine. It is not a means to an end or to get something. But it comes from a real place in her heart, a real place of love. And lastly, verse 12 tells us Ruth placed herself under the wings of the Lord for refuge. 
She humbles herself, dedicates herself, and she rests under the mighty loving arms of the Heavenly Father, trusting and knowing that he will provide for her, protect her, give her the spiritual and mental rest that she needs to see her through all of this. Put yourself in Ruth's place just for a second. She leaves her homeland that she's known all her life, that she's comfortable with. It may be wrong, but it's comfortable for her. That's all she knows, right? And she goes to this place where she's not accepted. People are going to be weary of her. So you know they had to be talking about her. She probably had to face jealousy, hatefulness, and a whole lot of ridicule. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that physically or mentally, but I'm sure you can imagine the doubt and the questions that's going to go through her mind. Should I be here? Should I go? Did I do the right thing? Is God with me? Dealing with all of that can be so hard. It can be easy to become depressed, to give up, or to fight back with anger, especially after you've lost everything and all that she's experienced. And now here you are and people are treating you like this. We all have dreams. We all have desires and visions of what we want to do with our lives, what we think life is going to be like. But in adulthood, you find out that it doesn't always work that way. And if you wrestle with that, it's going to make you miserable. And you're going to get angry and you're going to get bitter. Instead, we must surrender all those thoughts, all those dreams, all those desires to the will of God. And we have to separate ourselves from the world for his purpose. And it may seem harsh, like a whole lot of sacrifice, but it really isn't. Because God reminds us in Psalms 37, verse 4 and 5, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. Is that not what he's doing here for Ruth? Is that not what he has done in your own life? Think about it. God gave us life. The problem is we just think we have to control it. We think we have to make things happen the way we want. But the truth is, the best blessing, the most bountiful blessing comes when we are patient and we're trusting in God's plan and we put him first. Instead of growing bitter when circumstances don't make sense, let us take the heart of Ruth with the posture of humbleness. Humbleness ensures that our hearts do not become hard by the difficulties and the evil in the world. Instead of thinking we deserve something or that life owes us, pray. Pray and come to God and ask the Holy Spirit for help to take on this perspective that you are one of billions of people in the world who are struggling. Don't, they don't always get what they want either. And many of them have more difficult lives than you. More troubles. So view your circumstances as possibilities. Possibilities where the Spirit can show up and give you creative ways to be used by God. And just like Ruth, dedicate your life's mission to making the world a better place by becoming more like Christ. In all that you do, become like Christ in all of you that you do. Set your spiritual priorities for your soul. Keep your morals and your values that God has given you no matter what is happening. And then surrender all your efforts to the Lord. 
Seek his refuge. Seek that refuge under the wings of your mighty God. Because he knows that we grow tired and weary, and he knows that the pressures of this world are very real. But he invites us to come close to him, to draw from his strength, his love and wisdom, everything that he is. Let it fill you up. Let it give you a passion to keep going. Because there is nothing better than the love and protection and comfort that we receive from our Heavenly Father. The grass is not greener. <laughs> I know no matter what I go through, resistance from people all around me, heartbreak, health issues, financial issues, all of it. I know that no matter what I go through, even if it's my own shortcomings and mistakes that I've made, that God is going to see me through. That his love has more power than the fear and the doubt in my mistakes, my feelings, my emotions, and the problems that this life brings. You've got to believe that he loves you, that he's going to forgive you. Don't get caught up in, in what you've done in the past. Don't stay in Moab. The last key requirement that we see in our story from chapter 2 is gratefulness. You cannot receive an abundance of blessings if you are not grateful for what God has already given you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's just a bed for the night or a plate of food for that hour. If we take advantage in or take granted for what God has already given us, how is he going to trust us? For the next blessing. God gives us these blessings. Not just to bless us. But to bless others. To bless his kingdom. And his purpose. To win souls for Jesus. That's why you are given blessings. When we look at the last few verses. 13 through 18. It starts off with the gratefulness of Ruth. And it ends with Boaz blessing her even more. Because of her gratefulness. My Lord, she said, you have been so kind to me, for you have comforted and encouraged your slave, although I'm not like one of your female servants. And here comes the more blessings. At mealtime, Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread. Dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters, and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some leftovers. I just want to stop right there just for a second to point out that it said, so she came and sat beside the harvesters. You see, the Lord is impressing upon Boaz's heart for him to be the instrument of change, to stand up for what is right, to make her feel a part of this community and make sure others know that. And he said, come sit next to the harvesters. You are one of us. And not only that, it says that she ate and was satisfied and had leftovers. And it goes on in verse 15. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, what she had gathered. 
Then she brought out what she had left over from her meal and she gave it to her, gave it to, to Naomi. Once again, we see Ruth's gratefulness in this very last sentence saying that she gave her leftovers to Naomi. She didn't keep it for herself, but she shared her blessing with others because she recognized it wasn't because of her own efforts, but it was because of God's mercy and his grace that he cared for her needs, not only hers, but Naomi's as well. You see, God has this awesome way of not just blessing you, but all those around you, through you, through you. But it does not work if you are not grateful for what you have. In these last few verses, we see that she was not just blessed, but she had an abundance of blessings, bountiful. That's what God does when we put ourselves in the right position and in the right posture. 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So let us look at whatever we're facing, good or bad, as well as the decisions that we have to make with gratefulness. A possibility of using and fulfilling our purpose, living for the Lord with integrity and blessing others. And in return, we will, you will receive your bountiful blessing. Not only here, but in the life to come. Revelation reminds us that we will be crowned. Can't imagine kneeling before him and then putting a crown on my head. Because everything I did was for because of him, it wasn't because of me, but yet he's gonna crown me. Doesn't make sense to me. He's so good. Ruth placed herself in the proper position and posture with gratefulness. And because of it, her and all her needs were met, Naomi's and her future generations. Boaz goes on to marry Ruth and she becomes King David's great-grandmother, part of the genealogy that leads to Jesus. Talk about bountiful blessings. How much do you, how much do we want that? Remember the scripture about the sower and seed that Major Jonathan preached on? In Mark 4, 19 and 20, it says, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown in good soil, soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. That 30, that 60, that 100, it depends on our position. Are we seeking spiritual truths and guidance from the Lord? Are we posturing our motives of our heart like Ruth and being grateful for all that we have? I'm sure you have heard of the philosophy of the worker ant gathering up all for the winter, right? All for hard times. And the ant is given all that it needs. It goes out and gathers and stores up the blessings. And then 
All of it is used to feed the entire colony. No matter how tough things may be for you right now, God has a way of getting you out of your situations. You just have to be a partaker like the ant. You just have to be a partaker of what he is doing in your life and use your blessings for his purpose. Keep your eyes on what he is doing in and around you. Seek your instructions and strength from God and do all of it to the best of your ability with a humble heart. You may not always understand or even agree, but we got to start trusting God. You got to start trusting him at the next level of your life if you want to get to that next level. This morning, the altar is open. And if you're in need of motivation, pray for it. Ask the Lord for his spirit and his strength. Because we all go through lows and highs on this spiritual journey. Sometimes we find ourselves in a spiritual drought and it seems hard to get into the position or the posture that we need. Or even to be grateful for anything. But that's okay. Because we can find refuge in the wings of our provider. And he's inviting us to come and to sit with him, to rest in him under his arms. So come to the altar this morning. Maybe you just need to say thank you. Thank you with a humble heart and give him praise. As our scripture from earlier that we read in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Kids, you were given a leaf to write down what you're grateful for this morning. So I invite you at this time as well, if you'd like to come and place that, on the altar for what you are thankful for. And just remember, as you do, to say thank you to the Lord. I invite you all, as the music plays, whether it's at your seats or at the altar, just take this opportunity to reposition yourselves, to look at your heart, and to give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.